Welcome to Take a Wonder with Shebs, the show that features some of the biggest travel bloggers, TV and radio personalities and journalists from all around the world. Each show aims to take my guest on a wonder and uncover topics that may not be discussed on their platforms or in the media, whether that's the state of travel blogging and journalism as it is today, or whether there's enough diversity within the industry. Perhaps what impact technology and social media have had on content creation, or in general the impact of current affairs on the industry. I also try and find out the journey behind each individual's success, as this is more important to me than the actual travel. This episode aired on my YouTube channel on the 10th of May 2021, and it's with Paris Norris. Paris is an entrepreneur and a Dubai-based TV personality and the host of the show Guy in Dubai, where he uncovers the eye-opening side of Dubai. I discussed with him how he transitioned from the corporate world to the television world. Plus, we spoke about his future aspirations. So let's take a look. Paris, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. How are you and how is Dubai? So generally, I'm good. Dubai is very good and uh, not too much to complain about. You're from the UK and whereabouts in the UK are you from actually? Somerset. I'm from a place called Longleat. So Longleat is quite famous because it has a a stately home. It's called Longleat House. And I grew up in the forest. Looking back at how that was so significant to how my mindset is now, I've always had this sort of curiosity and uh, adventurous nature. So I think it very much stemmed from where I grew up. And what whilst you were growing up, did you have any family holidays, family traveling? I did go on family holidays, but it, it probably wasn't enough or as much as everybody else did. And I think maybe that's why I still have a big thirst for travel now, because I've had a little taster as a child, but never really got to do many of the other things, you know, and that you know, spurred a lot of uh, uh, a, a lot of interest. I went around Asia. I lived in Paris for a while, um, and yeah. So, so I did get a, a good amount of travel through. And having lived abroad for so long, I think that again is also because I'm interested in other cultures, and and I just find it interesting to be in other places. What did you study in in university? Uh, I studied business studies. Yeah, and focused on finance. I guess with finance, so you can work anywhere, can't you? The financial field. Assume that you probably would have had some sort of an understanding that you could do this uh, abroad. So I, I I focused on finance at university mainly because uh, there were subjects that I did previously where I could never understand why my grade was either good or bad. Uh, you know, it was always subjective, and I never understood that things that. Had a, you know, they wanted your opinion, but maybe the 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 market didn't like your opinion, and you didn't get a good grade. Where with finance, it was black and white. You get the calculation right, and you show how to do it, then you've got the mark. And I knew that I could succeed at that. So I focused on finance, and I ended up getting quite good at it. Um, my mindset then was to to join an investment bank or something like that. But I finished my degree in two thousand and eight, and at the start of the year, when we started our final year at university. Um, Northern Rock crashed and then by the end of the year uh, Lehman Brothers and all the rest had gone down and basically uh, I was going to interviews and at the end of the interview I'd say you know how did I do and they said oh Paris you were great and I said so do you think there's a good chance and I'm like Paris look I'll be honest with you we fired 8,000 people this morning and I'd be like right and they're like so if you've got other options, I certainly recommend looking at them. And it became clear that, you know, as a, I was very highly qualified when I came out. Not only did I have a uh, master's in finance, I had done my CFA level one and two, which is uh, considered one of the most difficult, well, the most difficult qualification within finance, I think. Um, and I had done all my broker's licenses. So I was determined that by the time I finished university, I was going to have all the qualifications that, that they just couldn't say no. But then, you know, you couldn't foresee that happening. So final year, uh, final months at university, I had, I had come to terms with the fact that there were two things that could really help me be successful. The entrepreneurial route is is the is the way to success i mean that's if you look at anybody who's been successful in anything they've set up their own business and and it's a difficult and long journey so you need to start early and i you know i'd spoken with people and they said look 
with entrepreneurship, there's no qualification or degree that will ever matter. You just have to get out and do it and, and you know, get kicked around a bit and, and hope that you'll succeed sometimes. So I thought, you know, there's really nothing that going to work at, you know, an investment bank will teach me about how to set up a small business. So I thought, right, we've got to just start that straight away. Uh, the second concept that I had was by working abroad and maybe being a little bit unique in the sense that I come with a unique angle and I'm, you know, uh, a, a Western expat and bring bring that to the table. I'd seen friends who had worked abroad for a long period of time um, who had succeeded very well by being that person because they were able to capitalize on being the right choice for a company when they moved to Japan or wherever it was. So I realized that working abroad could be um, good for my career for a period of time, as well as it would be a whole different learning experience, which even if I come back to the UK, it's something that I bring to the table, you know. So so those were my two thought, uh, thought processes. And I came up with a business idea, me and a friend school uh, at uni sorry uh we we had sort of highlighted a few different businesses one of them looked like we had funding for it it was going to be to go work in an expatriate hub which could have been hong kong or singapore or america but dubai was booming at the time and um it was really uh, uh the place to be and we thought okay let's go to dubai let's go research uh meet with people and and put in the groundwork to see if this is a place that we can do business and we came here and the place blew my mind because it was at a time when the Burj Khalifa was two-thirds built um, so it was like they're going to build the biggest tower in the world which is going to be almost double the size of the next biggest tower and they've got plans to build one double the size of that and they've got plans to build one a kilometer squared and there was plans to do everything that you could possibly imagine it was it and it was hard to identify what was happening and what wasn't because you couldn't doubt anything because there was a lot of amazing things going on so so um and some of those pulled off and some of those will be forgotten about but there was a lot of things that uh, that were going on at that time that there was a real energy to the place and i just thought this is where we've got to be i don't know if at that time, I didn't know if Dubai was also going to suffer from the financial crisis, but I knew that long term that there, that there was a big story there, and um, I think I was right about that. So, and and I'm you know I'm still here, and even past that financial crisis that happened in 2000 here in 2009, and it we suffered here for a couple of years. Um, a huge amount has taken place in terms of the development of the city. I mean, since, let's say, 2012, this place is almost unrecognizable. Um, the things that have happened, we've, we've, we've turned the whole central part of Dubai, which is downtown, into an island in that time. You know, uh, so many things have happened. You know, they built a canal all the way around it. There's, you know... It, a lot has happened. Um, some of it didn't happen on time. In fact, most of it didn't happen on time. You know, we've got big ambitions to do everything as quickly as possible, as big as possible. But uh, it happened, and that's that's what really matters. So, um, so that was my thought process behind it, and I think those were good decisions. Looking back now, um, you know, it must be uh, twelve years since I made that decision, and I think that was a good one. I graduated in 2009. I remember the crash and going for interviews itself, very difficult. And I didn't ask, by the way, the interviewer, oh, do you think I've got a chance? Uh, and it's, it's a little bit disheartening when they say to you, tell you what, mate, you know, look for something else. And, you know, <laughs> to, to go through that at a young age, uh, it can really get you down, you know. And I, from what you said, I really admire that you've actually gone done it yourself and decided to move to a foreign country where you know a lot of us will think let's try and do it within our own uh, territory before we move abroad so that's actually very courageous in what you've done and actually one thing actually you mentioned as well 
prior to talking about moving across to Dubai. You said you lived in other countries prior to that. So you said uh, Paris was one of them. Because actually, you didn't actually move to Dubai originally. I read that you moved to Oman first. I lived for a year in Canada. I did one year in Canada uh studying so that was uh that was great um and it was a fantastic business school uh queen's business school i also lived in berlin for a period of time i was in paris uh for at least most of my gap year and then the plan was to move to dubai and i came to dubai but uh the investor i got onto my business was omani and he said he loved my plan and he saw the potential for that in in the uae but he said you know let's let's start in my office in omar build it and then we'll we'll take it there and that was meant to be a six-month period uh that ended up being a three-year period uh, i lived in a few countries before being here yeah was it easy to say goodbye to to the UK? Or I mean, you've obviously got family, friends there. I'm always curious to find out because a lot of the the, the travellers uh, that I've met have had no issues doing so. Was it easy for yourself to move to a to a different country, or because because you've done it prior to moving permanently, was it, did that make it easier? I think maybe that did make it easier. But the great thing about the UK and London, particularly, is you can always come back and you fit right back in where you left off. Um, and I don't know if that's like the same ever in the world, but literally I, you know, I've not lived there for, for 12 years and I can come back and I can call up my friends and we'll have a bit of small chat for a bit and we'll be back to usual. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell them one or two stories about, about Dubai. They'll say, all right, mate, grab the next pint and, and uh, you just carry on as usual. And I've always felt that it's always there if I, if I want to go back. And, I actually think the UK is a really fantastic place. I think a lot of people leave because they're not happy with home. Um, there were some things I'm not happy about with the UK. I think as a young person, it's, you know, and if you've got ideas and you say that you want to set up your own business and you want to do something amazing, quite often people aren't scared to tell you that they doubt what you're going to do. And it's a little bit dampening. And and it's almost like there is a slight jealousy. People are like, well, I've worked years trying to make, you know, something successful. So you can't just come and make it happen out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Um, and there's also like an order of hierarchy in the sense that until you've served your time, you can't have conversations with people of such a high level of seniority. So I can go and have uh, I can go and have a discussion with somebody who's uh, of, of a very high seniority and achieved a lot of things because I'm fresh out of university. I'm, I'm Mr. Nobody. Where I found over here, that didn't exist. And I was dealing with people of extreme seniority. And, and what they saw was a smart young guy with good ideas. And that was valuable. Um, where in the UK, I've, I've, I've always felt there's an invisible hierarchy. And uh, some people will say that's a lot to do with class as well. You know, there's a almost like, uh, you know, which school did you go to? And, you know, th there's a bit of that in the UK, you know. And so you, th there was something there that I was just like, you know what, I've got bigger ideas for this. I, I can't deal with that, uh, that lid being put on me. Um, and I and so that that was the negativity I was feeling then. However, having been away, I think I've started to understand what we do have really well in the UK um you know and now that I'm working in the TV TV business I've realized the UK has the best TV business in the world we're the biggest exporters of TV shows in the world we're you know we, we export more than the United States um we have a huge amount of creativity in that space and an industry where over here we really have a lack of industry um so uh and it's not just that but you have upbeat people who are who generally people are really taking a pride in their career that's not something you find in every country um and you have a lot of educated people and uh and fairly worldly people um you know i say fairly worldly because i feel that maybe 
having lived abroad and everything, you know, I, I maybe I'm have a bit more experience in that. But even so, compared to other countries, the average person is uh, more well traveled, more thinking about the world as a market rather than just their their community. So there's a huge amount of great things about the UK, and I feel you know as time goes on, I, I realize that there's I never want to lose my my Britishness or my connectivity to the UK. In fact, I'm wanting to build it more now. And and now it's really much a time for me to try and form those connections back in the UK in a business sense and say, I'm the British guy who has gone away and made something and learned about the Middle East in particular, but the rest of the world. And I want to bring that back to the UK and work with British businesses, buy but also educate people about other parts of the world because I, I feel uh, that I've really got to rebuild that bonds with the UK now that I've spent so much time away, but that I've got something to bring to the table now. Come nicely to my next question, how you transitioned away from the business to television. How did it first begin with you? Who did you was it connections that you already made through the business world? And it's did you ever consider I mean, did you ever think about television? I never had ambitions to be in the TV world. That was not ever the the plan as a child or anything like that. Um, through different businesses I had set up, when you run your own business, you know, having come from a, a um, background of finance, you then realize that the most important thing in business is communication, whether it's communicating with your staff or communicating to your company or, you know, uh, other businesses that communication is a big thing. And that I probably found that the largest portion of my time and learning was around communication. Um, I then had done a lot of videos that uh, in that space, like corporate videos, which gave me a bit of experience. And then I started doing public speaking, which gave me experience talking in front of large crowds. And I wanted to, I was doing those really because I wanted to get as much practice. I thought, Public speaking, if you can do it well, is incredibly powerful. If you want to be, you know, whether you want to be the prime minister or whether you want to be the head of your business um, or even just uh, being able to talk in front of a group of friends, it's incredibly powerful. And it's you learn through experience. You have to overcome fear and also understand how best to speak when you're doing something almost like a monologue. Uh, I thought, well, if I'm going to make mistakes on this, I need to do them young because uh, I don't want to be making mistakes when I have a huge amount of responsibility. I'm 50 years old and everyone's relying on me um, to be able to move an organization or, or whatever. It would be a holdback in my career if I don't know how to uh, how to do this. The, the TV wasn't really ever thought about at that point. We did look at new business ventures at one time with my old business partner back then. And and one of those, out of nowhere, came a TV show uh, that we started looking at. Um, and we never, we didn't actually do that TV show. It was just a, I had put a concept together and, and he really liked it. And it was interesting just to see that I was getting uh, support for that idea. And I spoke with a few TV people at the time. And we had been working on a... A series of videos and I started to understand a really simple thing which formed my whole understanding about how the business of TV works. We were talking with a network that had online portals uh, so they had websites basically and they had a huge number of um, uh, a huge audience and they needed content. We had something that interested them in terms of how we could create content and what we were able to do with that platform being able to say that we have you know uh, 20 million visitors which was their platform not ours but with our concept we were then able to get sponsors on board and those sponsors who would have positions in the show essentially cover the production of the show so that you can create a high quality production and from a business owner's point of view you know, I've always been thinking about how do you get capital capital in order to do your projects. And this was great because you can actually get the money for the production plus a bit of profit before you've actually made the production based on being able to convince a network that has a big audience 
that your content is good. And so that understanding has basically formed the whole concept of what my business is now. So I then later after this, I thought, well, nowadays, and that was a that was a business uh, production that we were doing. I had come to terms with the fact that people are much more interested in entertainment than they are about business productions. Business productions are actually quite a niche type of production. In, in places like the UK and America, you have a much bigger audience, but the rest of the world don't really consume so much business content, but they love uh, entertainment type things. So I thought, okay, how do I create something a bit more entertainment related um, and convince a network that has an audience to take me on? And what you do is you kind of say, to the network, look, I've got sponsors on who are interested. Meanwhile, you're saying to the sponsors, I've got a network on who's who's who we're working with, and you pull the pieces together. Um, and you know, one doesn't happen without the other, so you have to kind of get them at the same time. Um, now, my ambitions when I did that were that I was going to have a huge amount of sponsorship and a huge amount of viewership, and I tend to find that actually it ended up being down here, but I pulled it together, and that allowed me to get to the next level and pulled them together, and now I'm working at the level uh, that probably is what I had in mind about two or three years ago uh, in terms of viewership and sponsorship. But you see, it's very much a ladder. Every bit of publicity, every platform that you're on, every sponsor arrangement that you have allows you to get to the next level um you know so we're now on as i mentioned uh, a number of different platforms and a number of different airlines we're able to be on that because two years ago we started off with uh one broadcaster and one airline uh this year i'm sure we'll make a lot more arrangements based on the broadcasters and airlines that we're on now and hopefully it will go up and up like a ladder, um, which then allows you obviously to get more sponsorship on. So so the idea is, you know, if you can keep doing that, you know, I'm 36 now. So if I can keep going for till I'm 50, creating shows and going up and up and up with more sponsorship, more viewership, you know, then uh, hopefully it will become something big, uh, not too far away, hopefully. Just to transition to to the, the TV world and a lot of people listening well, no, it's not easy, but you had the business acumen to, to do it. So you took it as on another, right? This is another bit of venture. And you mentioned about ladders as well. Uh, people I've spoken to in the TV world will always tell you it's uh, to get a millimeter. You need to, to literally put your well, back into it. Really. You need to really graft your way through. It's not going to happen overnight. Uh, they say it takes it well in the industry, the television industry or Hollywood industry, eight years before you start seeing. Well, when you see someone with success, you know, it takes they would have put in the work to become an overnight success. But to become an overnight success, it takes eight years of hard work. Hopefully now you can go on to other networks uh, more around the world. I mean, to get eight airlines, by the way, is phenomenal, you know, to 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 get to that level and the concept of guy in dubai what what made you come up with that idea and why was it why was it important to tell that story through your vision really well the thought process was very simple i had attempted to set up businesses and for some reason despite all the ambition and all the hard work that went into it and all the sacrifice of sacrificing your Christmas with the people you want to spend Christmas with to work on your business um, and all of your free time, they had gone wrong. And sometimes they had gone wrong and gone sour. And actually I found that we were in a very negative situation with the business partners that we had, a, we used to really love working together and now we've got some kind of legal battle. And that, that was very disappointing for me because uh, one thing is financially not achieving what you wanted to. That I can swallow and move on. But when you've sacrificed everything and now the people that you, uh, uh, um, that you actually liked and trusted are, are uh, now filing, you know, or trying to get legal with you about certain things, it, it all gives a nasty taste in your mouth. And And I thought, you know what? I can't keep going on trying to set up a business, 
and it failing and not reaching this pot of gold at the end of it all um, and and sacrificing parts of my life to do that because this could go on forever. This, you know, And I do know entrepreneurs that have been persistent enough to make it only when they were in their mid-40s but have been an entrepreneur all the way through and failed and failed and failed. And I have huge respect for that. But I had to think, can I keep going like this? Can I keep going um, not really making much money? sacrificing a lot uh and and then keep going with with having to deal with a failure at the end of it and so i thought okay well if that's what this journey is going to be like then at least the process of the business or the journey has to be something that is how i want to live my life it's not just working towards what's at the end of the journey uh to be successful because quite often you get there and you realize that actually it doesn't really change much anyway. So you have to think, well, you know, you have to enjoy the journey, basically. So I then had to reflect in terms of, well, what do I want in life? You know, if I really had to clear my mind of all the things that I think I want and that I've been conditioned to want and think, if I could do anything and money wasn't an option, what would I do? And I thought, well, I think I really like to travel. You know, I love travel. I'm, I'm, uh, I love meeting new cultures. Uh, I love adventures and challenges. You know, I would love to do something like climb Mount Everest. Um, and I would love to go to the South Pole. And I'd love to push myself and, and be able to say that I've achieved these things. So that's one thing. I'm also a very sociable person. Uh, I like my friends. I, you know, I love a good party. I, I you know, I'm a sociable person. Um, but then I thought, well, those are all, you know, certain things, but I don't think I'd ever be happy unless I somehow had a really good integration with my family in my life as well, which having lived abroad has always been a bit of a, a challenge. So all of these thoughts, I thought, okay, those are the things you really want to do. Um, how do you make a business out of that? How do you make money out of that? And having had that little bit of experience about creating what was not really a TV show, but a, a show for an online network and understanding how that model worked. I thought, okay, well, what about I create a show about this guy who wants to go and live out his bucket list and wants to go do these things. And then I show people how to do them. And at the same time, I'm promoting the uh, activities or the places that I'm going. So there's actually so we've got sponsors. So it's actually, from a business perspective, valuable to people. Um, and uh, and then you've got, you everyone's a winner. You've got viewers who are interested to learn about these things and be inspired by it. You've got businesses that want the exposure and want to be put in a good way so that people will come and do their activities or come to the tree and things like this. And then you've got me in the middle who uh, gets to do these things and, and enjoy it. Um, but has to put in the hard work in order to create a good production. So that's how I came around to the thought process of why I want to do this particular business. And I have to say, I'm never happier than when the cameras are up and I'm doing some kind of vision or dream that I've had and now it's become true, um, you know, uh, I had this dream to to race the world's fastest power, but uh, I'd seen them in Abu Dhabi, these big monster machines, and I was like, I want to race one of those. I had this dream to go pearl diving, and I went and learned how to be a free diver and then did pearl diving. And I have many more, and, and I always have to pinch myself and go, okay, just remember, you had this vision, and now you're in it. So don't don't get lost uh, and just let it be over. Just take a moment to realize that you're here. Um, and I always do that every time we're, we're filming because um, it, it, it's, it, it's the sort of uh, the recognition that we are, um, we, we're doing what, what, we, what we've aimed to do. You've done Guy in Dubai. Is there any thought process of doing like Guy in I don't know, London guy in New York. Has that, come, has that crept into your mind? Uh, it's more than crept into my mind. It's very much our plan, actually. So uh, we, uh, we well, essentially I realized 
guy in Dubai was limited uh, geographically to the country we're in. And then we started getting requests to do um, uh, episodes in other countries. And we actually did one in Ireland, uh, which was which was fantastic. Uh, we've had a lot of pull towards Saudi. So we then thought, as you said, about creating um, guy, guy in Saudi. Um, but then, uh, in fact, uh, one of your uh, previous podcasters, uh, Ryan Pyle, uh, who's a good friend of mine, um, I spoke to him about it. And he says, why not just take off all the geographical limitations? Don't call it guy in Saudi. Don't call it guy in UAE. Call it something else. So you can be anywhere you want to be. And uh, I thought, okay, well, I need to do that. Um, so I came up with a, a name that fits so I can have it anywhere, but still has some link and relevance to everything we had spent the last two, couple of years doing. And I called it Guy in the Sky. Uh, so Guy in the Sky is essentially a travel show, but um, there is an element of um flying in it because i've become a, a paramotor pilot and that uh i wanted to create a a road trip around those countries but by paramotor because we can film from the sky where it's really incredible to to uh to see uh landscapes and and cityscapes from above um, and then we land and we meet the locals and we go and do uh, an adventure with them or try their food or, you know, this type of thing. So, so, uh, so absolutely, uh, we, we've, we've created that whole concept and we've been working to get the sponsors on for that. However, uh, not a good year to be trying to do a travel show. It's, uh, uh, there's been a lot of holdbacks on budgets and difficulties traveling. So we, We've kind of we're still working on it, but it might be next year when we can actually film it. You're going to have setbacks, and in a year that we've had, the travel industry, as I know, has people I know, you know, in in the industry have really, really struggled to sort of get things off the mark. You know, television shows. It is what it is. Where would you like to go first to to do Guy in the Sky? Look, it, where do I want to go first? It's maybe different to where we'll end up going first because obviously we we have to get uh, the sponsors, which is usually tourism boards um, or some kind of airline or something. So, so uh, our, the the one that has been the, the the most likely one that we will do is Maldives. Um, they've been quite active in in wanting us to come come there. Um, uh, where would I want to go first? Well, I, I mean, I have to say Maldives is, is never going to go amiss. I mean, that's a, a, a great place to be. If I really want to go and explore a country, I do like to go to places that are maybe a little less traveled to by most people. I think there's a lot of Africa that um, a lot of people haven't seen, which has a huge amount of beauty and culture and uniqueness. Um, so. Uh, so there's definitely some African countries. I like to go off the beaten path. I mean, I'm somebody who likes to go to uh, places that most people wouldn't want to go to. Um, it's not a safe time to go, but I did have high on my list to go to Yemen. It's a really incredibly beautiful place. Um, and it's almost like a part of Arabia that has uh, stayed in the old ages. And, and in a way, that's quite nice. But um you know, I don't mind going to dangerous places. So I'd say Yemen's high on the list. Where else would I want to go? Very much wanted to go. Uh, I did want to go to Iran. Um, huge amount of beauty there. There's a, a mountain there called Mount Damavand, which uh, looks like it's been painted. It doesn't even look real. It's so beautiful. Um, surrounded by poppy fields. Um, and it looks very much like the, the, the mountain from the Paramount logo. Um, so yes, yeah, so that, that's a place I love to go. So your show itself, it, it's very fun. Those types of places are sort of, I, I guess if you're going to show it, would you like to do it in the same way? You know, your enthusiasm, your, or would you like to do it a bit like you just mentioned, Ryan, he does it in quite a serious tone. What, how would you go about filming? 
I feel that you have to sort of stay true to your style and and the way you do things. Uh, um, I've always naturally done things a certain way, and uh, that's what what works for me, you know. So um, I've also found that the way that I like to show uh, my videos is through the experience. So I very much like it so that I represent the audience and that I'm asking the questions that they would ask and doing the things that they want to do and expressing that to the audience. And then everybody else who's in the video, who might be, um, you know, the people from that area, there might be experts, uh, you know, I'm there to sort of find out more about their life, ask them questions, dig a bit deeper so that, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm basically asking the questions that the, the audience would ask. So that's my style of doing things. And so that is very similar to what I've done in the past. Um, I'm still perfecting the style um, so that, you know, I, I look at things sometimes and I say, ah, I don't like how I do those shots. So maybe I'll cut those out and maybe I'll add a bit of this. Um, and I am looking at other videos and thinking, you know, other productions and trying to figure out, could we add that to our production and would it, would it look good? Um, so, so yes, look, I'm, I'm always, I, I like to stay true to our style. I mean, there's a slight com comedy element to everything we do. There's a, there's a quirky side. Um, well, that's what I was going to say to you because it's evolving, isn't it? So you might, because a lot of people start off in comedy or whatever, but then evolve into, a, a, but you can do both, you know, you can mix and match. And you said, you know, you you watch a couple of things, watch other. And I think the best thing to do is always watch other other travel shows and how they do it. You see, and you don't want to be the same though, do you either? You want to do things differently. And you, as you said, you've got your own style then. Absolutely. And, you know, if somebody wants, uh, something serious you know or they want something highly in-depth uh david atterborough's there you know uh if they if they want uh, a trekking adventurer who's very pensive you know ryan Powell's there um if they want to sort of show the uplifting side of it the funny side of it like make it a little bit more like to the average person ah oh, this is where i want to go because I try and I think I do represent the average person when I do these things, then that's maybe more where we fit in. So I think it depends very much on, um, you know, what you see, if, if they want our style, they'll, they'll, they'll want our production to come. Um, I think it's best to stay true to what, what we do, what we're comfortable with and what we're good at. I think if I was to try to do something else, we could do it, but maybe not as good as other people do it. Um, so yeah, I think it's important to stay true to your style. Yeah, it's exciting, and I look forward to you know upcoming episodes in the in the near future. So you've done television, but you've done a lot of interviews as well. Uh, is there anyone that sticks in your mind that you've interviewed um, that you think, wow, they were exactly what I saw on TV? To be honest with you, the the I have interviewed a couple of famous people. None of them really stood out as anything exceptional to me. Um, but there were people who stood out who were exceptional to me who you wouldn't think of. Um, and actually they stood out, stood out not just because of it being an interesting interview, but because I just got really interested in uh, their life stories. Um, and, and that's something that's quite interesting with what I've done. I think it's one of the, one of the things that maybe I didn't uh, have in my things to achieve when I started the idea of Guy in Dubai, but has now become something that's actually very, uh, very valuable to me, which is I get to meet people who have dedicated their lives to an adventure or, um, or progressing something. So to give you an idea, I met a guy called Doug Herbert, who was the, uh, I think three times world champion drag racer. And I was meeting with him because we were going to drag race against each other in electric vehicles in Teslas. Um, so I knew he was a, a drag racer and he was a world champion. And that's all I knew about him when I met him. But then when I started speaking with him more, I realized that actually he, he was here in the UAE to talk with the government about a program that he has, 
which is to educate young people in terms of safe driving. And his motive behind that was actually that he lost both his sons in a car accident. So there was this, you know, emotional connection to his purpose to try and educate young people, coupled with the fact that he himself was a drag racer. Um, so his love for cars and his love for racing them was was connected with his his you know dissatisfaction that he's lost his two sons in a car accident. And as I start talking to him further, I then understand that he has spent the majority of his wealth developing a car to beat the world land speed record, which is what they do on the Salt Lakes in Utah. And that land speed record was still owned by his father, who had beaten the record, I think, in the 50s or some, some long, long time ago. So understanding that this guy, his legacy, he was born into uh, a family of motor legends. And now he's living out his, his it, it's, it's almost like his, his life is, is set for excellence. And I just thought that this, this story was incredible. Um, and, and I've actually been talking to him about doing a documentary about it because he's, he's still trying to find a time to, uh, uh, to take on this challenge. They've developed the car um, and got the sponsors and everything and, and just waiting till the weather's right till they can actually have a chance to beat the record. Uh, so these kind of things really, really uh, struck me because it's it's almost like he's, he, he, he's kind of built for success and he will always push it to the edge and there's no no way that he can't you know it was a, a really uh interesting story um just to add to that i also met another guy another guy who just you know i, I meet these people i'm like look i just love these people i just want to be like these people and th this guy i think his name was david mayman um he i met him because i went to a red bull uh, event and it was the air race and they told us very specifically we cannot go past those uh past those barriers there you can film here you can film here but not past those barriers so of course i think right what's past those barriers we've got to get past there so so me and the camera guys we snuck in and we went there and down on a pier just by the water in abu dhabi and the corniche was a guy putting on a jetpack and i went down and i said i said you know what is this and he says oh well this is a jetpack it goes 250 kilometers an hour uh, I've been developing it. I made it myself. And I'm like, really? And then as we're getting pulled off by security, he puts it on and he takes off and he flies all over the Corniche. When he landed, I finally got an interview with him. And he said, you know, for the last 20 years, him and his partner have been developing jetpacks and they've now got them to the point where they can fly them. And they see that this will be the way that DHL will deliver you your parcel. And this will be the way that people will take videos. And this will be the way that people travel. And he sees it like Steve Jobs saw the computer in terms of everyone's going to have one. And, and I, I'm, you know, he's invested his whole life in what, what people would have thought was absolutely crazy, you know, that people are going to do this. But when I've seen him fly, it's like, wow. You know, you, you haven't wasted your time. That That's absolutely incredible. And, and you know, Nobody really knows the name of this guy um, and nobody knows that, you know, I'm talking about in terms of major publicity. But these are two people that I meet and I, I see them as as people who are pushing what humans can do to new levels. And those people massively inspire me. Now that That is absolutely true. You meet people on a day to day basis. And their stories, they've always, everyone's got a story to tell. And I had a guest, another guest on, uh, Simon Parker. He said, if you took a bottle of wine and knocked on some random person's door, they will have incredible stories to tell you. You've just proved it there. You know, you, you, you know, you, you speak to celebrities, interview them, nothing, nothing major. But then when you speak to someone unknown, they've got amazing stories to tell and what about hobbies have you got any hobbies that you like to do outside of your work and travel like yesterday i went hiking for i think we did like a 16 kilometer hike uh and then afterwards you know i'm i'm 
almost passed out. Uh, I used to love reading, but I haven't really had much time for it uh, for like the last 10 years. So all of those things that are a little bit more kind of like your downtime um, have always been quite limited for me. But I I enjoy, I've always loved sports. I've been, you know, when I was younger, I was a very athletic sportsman. Um, and I've always, you know, thought that was an important part to keep fit. So I play, I play pretty much every, every type of sport or hobby you could think of. I mean, a lot of the things I do in the show, like, uh, scuba diving, free diving, paramotoring, um, hiking, these types of things. Uh, these are things that I do off the show as well. Um, so every Friday I go hiking with Ryan Pyle and another friend of ours, Pete, and uh, we, we we do a long hike, and that's always great fun. You know, I guess that's downtime. Uh, but then the, I also create media around that. You know what I mean? So the the way that I thought about doing things initially is is I've got to create some uh, media around the things that I love. So it was always like the things that I like to do when I'm in my free time are the, is the media opportunity. Um, so I, there's always been a kind of a, a match there. I read somewhere that you were big into your junior athletics when you were growing up. Is, is that something that you actually considered maybe doing professionally? I was of that level where you can make a decision to invest a huge amount of dedication uh, for the rest of your, at least, you know, uh, athletic career, you know, because you can be an athlete to your maybe 35, um, uh, invest a huge amount of dedication into that to, to get to the professional level. Um, I'm glad I didn't um, because I did see a lot of friends who uh, did do that and unfortunately didn't sort of reach those peaks. Uh, meanwhile, I have some friends who have become incredibly successful in athletics. I mean, I was, I did decathlon and um, I went, I was on a sports scholarship at a, a, one of the best sports schools in the world, uh, Millfield. And, um, you know, some of my friends became um, the England rugby captain, the uh, world record holder in the uh, women's rowing, um, and she she was somebody I, I actually used to to run with. So when I asked people, you know, who from school has uh, done well in the Olympics, they said, "Oh, I remember he Helen Glover?" They said, "Oh yeah, she wasn't that good a runner." And it's like, "Yeah, she didn't do it in running; she did it in rowing." I was like, "Oh yeah, I didn't think that she rowed." And they're like, "No, she didn't. Um, she took it up two years ago. Uh, she did one of those." Um, um, uh, bio uh, bio analysis where they take everything from your genetics, everything, and then tell you what you have potential in. And they told her that she had potential in rowing, and she started training. Uh, she managed to get into the qualifiers to get into the Great Britain team, which got her into the Olympic team. Uh, and then she won the Olympics, got the world record, has now won many Olympic uh, medals. And this uh, 2021, she's aiming to be the first women row female rower to win a medal uh, post having children. So, um, so you know, there's a story of someone that I used to train with who did invest in, um, in that and did succeed. But I have many, many friends who didn't get to that level. Fine, fine margin, isn't it? So the the world of athletics, you've got to be absolutely top of your game. Uh, I mean, I I played tennis at the I wouldn't say a high level, but university level was the highest I got to. But I knew I was never going to become a professional. I was never good enough. So I knew, you know, I can't pursue this as a career uh, but I mean I have played since you know since my time I, I, I do play against a few pros and you know I give them a game can take a game or two but you know I can't you know I don't play that I play maybe once or twice a week you know during normal times but you, you know when you're not gonna make it you can grind in a business you can grind to become a, a TV personality anything like that but I guess it's a very limited time isn't it sporting career where if you don't make it between a certain especially tennis or athletics between in your 20s then it's not going to work I think I did mention before 
that it takes eight years of hard work to make it into certain industries. But with sports, you've got a shelf life, don't you? So after your 30s, you tend to go downhill you know, on performance level. So the sad thing is, is a huge amount of it is um, hard work. And that's something that we we can do. Um, but then a huge part of it is luck, which we don't control. And a huge part of it is your genetics and your natural ability, which again is something we don't know exactly. I mean, well, I think nowadays maybe, like I said, you know, the, the, the fact that they, they can do these things to tell you where your potential is, is, is an advancement from when I was younger, when, you know, may, maybe I could have been better in another, in another sport, who knows? Um, but, you know, that's, that's a lot of uncertainty to invest your whole, um, uh, life into and if you're ever going to be successful at something like that then you need absolute tunnel vision and the problem with absolute tunnel vision is that's the only way to succeed but if something goes wrong like you have an injury or you you know or you just fail and you can never go further for some reason um then it's very difficult to adapt from tunnel vision in only one thing to now that not being in your life it's a, a lot of athletes when they leave athletics or if they have an injury or something they go through really difficult mental traumas to to deal with that because everything they've ever worked for or known about or thought about has been one thing and, and now they need something else and and uh, that's a difficult thing for for people to overcome and whether they can adjust to um, and, uh, you know, another life is, is very difficult. So, and, you know, that goes for athletics, but that also goes for, you know, many different career paths. If you look at people who make it to the very top of businesses, they do it because of tunnel vision. However, you often see when they get fired or the business, uh, uh, uh falls down or they lose money, often they commit suicide. And you're like, you know, I, I saw of a guy uh, in 2008 who was worth 12 billion and he lost 10 billion uh, over the financial crisis and he committed suicide. But if you think about it, the guy was still worth 2 billion. That um, he, you know, because of all the, you know, things that were going on with his business going down and, and his whole life was, was his business because that's the only way you can get there is from this tunnel vision that makes that everything in your life so it's 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 a risky thing to be so reliant on just one thing um and that's why you know you find that successful people are not necessarily that happy because they their their whole life worth is based on on uh one thing and that's not always in their control so often a a more happier way of life is a bit more of a balanced uh, balanced life so you have to decide if that's the the route you want to take and um i've certainly taken a more balanced approach uh after my athletics career and um i think for my own well-being that was a good thing listen paris i'm gonna leave it there i want to thank you for coming on i'll speak to you very soon thanks very much appreciate it you can follow my guests on all of their social media platforms the details are in the description that's it for Take a Wonder with Shebs. Don't forget to follow me on all of my social media platforms. Until next time, bye for now.